Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Hello, Gotham. Joker's back in town. I'm not wearing hockey pants. And now you're listening to the new and improved Outside the Comics Volume 2 podcast with your host, Alfred. No! What is going on, OTC listeners? Another episode of Outside the Comics Volume 2 podcast is in your life today. We are back on a Tuesday morning, mind you. It is 5.12 a.m. The reason why I'm doing this so early in the morning is because of the fact that I came home very late last night on Monday night. And I'm like, alright, let me just rest this off because I have a lot to discuss today. I have a lot to discuss for the podcast, let me just gather my thoughts together, and then 20 minutes later, I kind of fell asleep. It just so happens, when you work so much, when you work so long, you end up falling asleep, and then you're like, fuck, I don't want to get my thoughts across. But, nevertheless, here I am, we are back on episode 70, and what better way to kick the start off with the episode of The Boys Season 2 Complete Spoiled Review. Holy shit, was it an interesting and great season finale. The season overall, I thought, had a lot of moments. It had some great ones, some bad ones, but overall, it was definitely a great season. And that is the episode for this podcast. So, let me not waste any more time. Let's get right down to it, shall we? Like always, we have our shoutouts of the day, our supervillain quote of the day. And let's get right down to it. This episode of the podcast gives a shout out to HBO Max for having the green light for the Green Lantern Corps coming to HBO Max. I have no idea when. I have no idea how. I have no idea who's going to play who. But all of your fan favorites that is going to be within the show, you got guys like Jessica Cruz. I love me some Jessica Cruz. You got Simon Baz, Guy Gardner, another fan favorite, and of course, the great Kilowog. Now, from what I'm able to understand, this show will primarily focus on on the people and the other Green Lanterns that is not your usual Hal Jordan, Jon Stewart, and I don't think... Kyle Rayner is going to be in it. I'm At least I hope he is. You know, because he's also another fan favorite. I have to admit, I don't really follow too much on the Green Lantern Corps as a whole. I just know bits and pieces from it from the Injustice Part 2 storyline. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. Now, I'm not a major Green Lantern fan, but I do like them. And it's going to be very interesting to see what HBO Max actually does with these other characters that are not centralized to the original characters that we know and grew up with. So the fact remains that HBO Max has given the green light for that. That is perfect news. I can't wait to see who plays Jessica Truth. Please, please let it be Diane Guerrero. Please let it be Diane Guerrero. Come on, Crazy Jane from Doom Patrol. Come on. If you give me that... I will 100% watch the show from start to finish in in a jiffy. I don't give a shit. Give me Diane Guerrero, Crazy Jane from Do Patrol. Have her play Jessica Cruz. She already played Jessica Cruz in the animated movie. Let's let's the animated Justice League movie from a couple of years ago. Yeah, let's uh, let's not kid ourselves here. I mean, she wants to play the role. Hell, give her the role. Why not? 
give her the fucking role. But in any case, congratulations to HBO Max for greenlighting the Green Lantern Corps. Can't wait to see who plays who, what goes what, and who knows? Maybe we see Kyle Rayner, Hal Jordan, Jon Stewart, maybe some cameos or maybe some quick mentions of them. Who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows at this point? Also, a quick shout out to the MCU deciding to maybe, just maybe, introduce and include Venom in the movie, which means there's a chance that if that rumor is true, that he may be part of the Sinister Six, considering Venom is an anti-hero. I will say, although that might be a cool move to do, that might be a little bit of a bad idea for right now. And the only reason when I say that, and I know I'm going to elaborate more on another episode, having Venom as part of the Sinister Six might, in a particular way, undo the heroism that he did from the first movie since we're only now getting introduced to him on the big screen, if that makes any sense. But at the same time, it's not out of Venom's character to be a bad guy and then be a double agent for Spider-Man and then betray Spider-Man in some way. It's like it's like anything else. The story needs to make sense for that transition to even happen. And if Venom is part of the Sinister Six, then chances are he might be the only one to actually give Spider-Man a good run for his money. But again, this is a rumor. Since I know the MCU and Sony, they still want to do their crossover events. They're already doing it with Morbius and they're already doing it with a few other projects. Let's just wait and see what happens. And I know I'm coming out of this out of the fly, but when I get my thoughts more organized and my thoughts across a little bit more, then I'll be able to know and see and figure out the pros and cons between Venom being part of the Sinister Six, Venom being part of Spider-Man 3, if he is going to be in Spider-Man 3, and we'll see what happens as the time gets closer. We'll, we'll see what happens. But that's all we have for the shout-outs. Let's go into our Boys Season 2. The Boys Season 2 Spoiled Thrill Review. It's fucking diabolical. And that starts right in a bit. One of my favorite aspects of this entire show was the social commentary that the show not only represents but actually reflects so much of what goes on in the real world as it is today. Now, a little bit of a recap here, and I say this from time to time, I cannot recommend this show enough. The first season, from a different standpoint, was here we have a bunch of superheroes that are essentially cunts, douchebags, killers, and not the usual people that you really want to root for. But then you do because everything is a uh, propaganda. Everything is an illusion. Everything is fake. But you don't really know that unless you look behind the scenes. And that's what the first season actually established in this dystopian type of world. Whereas the second season, it focuses more on the political 
propaganda of uh, corporations, politicians, and the corruption behind that. You see, we live in a world where politics, corporations, media, everything that has to do with anything that goes on in our everyday lives is vastly controlled by what we see on television, is vastly controlled by what we see in the news, it's vastly controlled by the narrative that it's shaped based on what they want us to know. So, in other words, what it really focuses on is the manipulation of perception and they control the narrative based on what we need to know. For example, we got, you know, the the corporation Vought. They are a pharmaceutical company. They're the ones that heads the superheroes. They are the ones that is in charge of the Seven, which has Homelander, Queen Maeve, Black Noir, and all these other characters, all these other soups. You have Vought with their agenda in pushing the drug known as Compound V in order to go onto the masses. If they go onto the masses, it rigs their stock prices. And if it raises their stock prices, that's how they make money. While you have the other side, you have the congresswoman, you have this woman named Victoria Newman, who apparently, in the last episode, she was the secret head exploder. She is the one that is trying to take down Vought. But yet, there was a particular episode within the season, I believe it was episode... Six or seven, I'm sure it was seven with the whole head exploding scene in the courtroom. She had the perfect opportunity to take down Vought and she doesn't. Why? Why doesn't a congresswoman that wants to take down a major corporation like Vought for so long, for so much, all of a sudden now doesn't do it anymore, now basically stir up more conflict? And then I realized, holy shit, this is perfect because... Conflict actually helps the masses in order to raise money. Or maybe I said that a little bit wrong here. How can I how can I re-say this? It's all about monetization. It's all about conflict and division. It's all about what goes on behind the scenes in the political world where if there is conflict and it is drama. It raises awareness. It raises us, the viewers, the audience, for us to watch, observe, and if we show emotion to it, or if we show anger to it, or if we show anything along those lines, it creates money. It creates vision. It creates notoriety towards them. Does that make any sense? I I know I'm sounding way too political here, but... How can I say this in the best way as I can? Okay, so there were so many moments in a particular episode. I believe it was either episode 3 or 4. It was right around the beginning where the media was pushing so hard for women's rights to actually be the center front, to actually be the forefront of everything going on. Just like what Marvel is doing when it comes to diversity. They're pushing this agenda so hard in our face, so hard down our throats, that they're willing to do anything and everything they can to make their messages known. The representation of the whole women's rights movement in this particular season was Queen Maeve. And she is a bisexual. However, it is beneficial for them to paint her as the sole front of 
lesbianism, women's rights, equal rights, things like that. Because a showing equal power of lesbianism is actually so much higher than it is just being bisexual. And this is just one of the examples that this entire show actually perceived. Propaganda and social media. The illusionary aspect is all done where everything is just bullshit. We can't really trust what it is that we're seeing. And yet we can't help but be emotionally involved with what it is that is given to us. The same way you have politics and you have all this other shit with Trump and Joe Biden, Kamala Harris and, you know, all these other people, emotion sells. Emotion sells. That is why it is very interesting that this season has actually finished literally before the election that's coming up next month. This show is a strong representation of what goes on in our real world. Now, I know I just spent so much time in terms of talking about politics, and I I have to admit, I tried to sound as cohesive as I can, and I think I kind of failed at that. But let's go into the characterizations here a little bit. Homelander, played by Anthony Starr. The best role-slash-actor that I've ever seen, and I know this is recency bias, but probably the best that I've seen by far. He obsesses with people loving him. He's a narcissist. He loves attention. He craves it. He loves it when people love him. So even though he's potentially the most dangerous human being or dangerous superhero to be exact in the face of the planet and he could easily wipe anyone out with his laser eyes and his laser visions and I'm sure he's had a few mental breaking points maybe a foreshadowing point where he actually kills every single person he sees in front of him he can't because if he does there will be no one around to love him and that's what's fascinating about his character Superman you know in comics and shows aside from the Injustice storyline Superman has always been the type of Boy Scout that will always do the right thing. The truth, justice, and the American way. You know, things like that. But he never really cared much about whether people loved him or hate him. I mean, he cared a little bit, but not to this extent. Nowhere near to this extent. You got Billy Butcher, played by Carl Urban. Again, one of the most fascinating roles and acting that I've ever fucking seen. And I am pushing for him to be Wolverine in the MCU. I mean, it took me a while to realize that he was the bald dude where he's like, he, he was, um, fuck, what's her name? It, it's it's coming, it's, it's going to come to me. Where he was Hellas henchman in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, he was like, behold, and he's that guy. So it took me a while to realize who he was. Fascinating character, fascinating person. He despises the soups. He fucking hates it with a passion because of what happened to him. And throughout the first season, he has a main goal to get his wife Rebecca back. That's his main obsession. He wants his wife back. So when he realized that Rebecca has or had Homelander's son, now there's a huge part of him that wants to take her and just leave the fucking kid. 
He even said it in the show. He's a soup fucking freak. But at the end, when Rebecca dies, thanks to her son's accidental laser eye vision, it broke my heart and it broke his heart on the fact that, God damn, the one thing that drives you, that pushes you to do what you do was her. And now that she's gone, what is left? What is fucking left? And it was a complete character arc that changed from the season of the beginning all the way till now where he despises superheroes to literally risking his life to save his wife's son, Ryan, who is essentially Homelander's son because Homelander raped Rebecca at some point before the season began. He risked his life to save him for the simple reason that he made a promise. He put his his selfishness, he put his drive aside, he, he put his ego aside to keep his promise to his dying wife. These two are like flip sides of the coin. Homelander and Billy Butcher. They're like, they're like flip sides. Of, I wouldn't say flip sides like Batman Joker, Superman Lex Luthor. No, 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 no. But... They're such polar opposites that you can't help but be in awe of their acting capabilities. Their characterization by far was the best of the entire show. Fucking mind-boggling. A lot of the characters that I actually found very fascinating was the relationship between Shuey and Starlight. And it was something that I realized, I kept thinking to myself, why is it that Huey is the type of person that clings on to people... And he said in season 8 that his mother left him when he was 6. So the reason why he clings on to people, that he clings on to the boys and he clings on to Annie, he clings on to these people, is the simple reason that he doesn't want them to leave him. He doesn't want them to leave him. So that is why he clings on to them and his mother had the mindset where she gave up and that's why she left. So he has that mentality where he... You know, he, he essentially goes against Billy Butcher in some cases, but he doesn't give up on them. He doesn't give up on him. He doesn't give up on Starlight. He doesn't give up on anybody. He he hangs in there because he doesn't want to be like his mom. He doesn't want to be the one person that betrayed him. And at the ending of the show, you see him actually completing his character arc where he is now standing up on his own two feet. He is now walking his own path. He still has Starlight as his girlfriend, yes, but he's doing his own thing now. And that's what's fascinating about it. You got the character arc with Starlight where in the beginning she, you know, was a God-fearing person. She loved God and she believed everything happened for a reason. Now, ever since she was told and realized that all superheroes, with the exception of Ryan, that all superheroes was made and not born with, her entire faith basically shifted. She questioned everything. She did not believe in anything anymore. She went against her mom. She had her face basically broken. It, it was very similar to Daredevil in season three. It was very, very similar where he lost his faith and at the end, he actually regained it back. And that's exactly what happens to Starlight at the ending of the show. She lost her faith again, and then she found it. And she doesn't give up on her friends, and she doesn't give up on doing what is right. Because at the end of the day, she knows deep within her core that she is a superhero. Again, the characterizations of this show is fucking fascinating. 
I love the other characters as well. You know, Frenchie and Kimiko, I love their dynamic. I love them actually being together. Frenchie is probably my favorite in the entire boy section. You know, he's probably my favorite because he's, he's hilarious. He's funny, especially when he goes toe-to-toe with Mother's Milk every now and then. So, he's fucking hilarious. Kimiko, such a badass. I really wanted her to speak in this last season. I mean, yes, she laughed, but I really wanted her to speak. But... Hopefully, we'll get that in Season 3. Aside from a couple of useless characters, A-Train and The Deep. God damn, they were useless. That was probably the only knock that I had in this entire show. Where A-Train, yes, he had that heart condition. And then he leaves the Seven and gets picked up by the Church Collective. Or the Collective of the Church. Or whatever bullshit they are there in. But... He actually made himself a little bit useful where he brought the file to the good guys about Stormfront. And then he gets reintroduced back into the Seven. The Deep, on the other hand, is completely useless literally from start to finish. And I think this might be stretching a little bit too thin here, but I'm going to go deep dive into this. No pun intended. I think the main reason why... The Deep is so useless in this show as a whole is because he was he is a strong representation of Aquaman. Now, if you remembered, before Zack Snyder and James Wan actually picked up Aquaman and made him into the badass James Momoa that he is, Aquaman, for years, throughout the comics, throughout anything, he was essentially useless. He was the joke of the Justice League. No one ever took him seriously. And I believe the Deep in this show represents that in so many fucking ways. And I have to say, it's fucking genius. Because it allows us to actually make these comparisons on what it is that we like and what it is that we find that is not really important. And let's face it, the Deep is not really important. I mean, it was pretty cool to see in one of the episodes where the Deep was riding a fucking whale and Billy Butcher and the boys fucking hit a speedboat directly and impacted the fucking whale. But aside from that, there was never really interesting about him. I mean, yes, he sexually assaulted women. Yes, there was a scene where his gills were fucking talking to him. And he was trying to repent. He was trying to find absolution with what he's done. But aside from all of that, he's a pretty useless character. And I have to say, I don't really care about what happens to him in the third season. Black Noir has a nut allergy. So you can expect him to come back after he ate that Almond Joy. But he's not really dead. He's just, I wouldn't say comatized right now since there's no brain injury. But he'll be back in season three. And if you realize there was a peak under his mask, he's a black dude. Hey, he's a black dude in a black noir outfit, you know, whatever the case. But then as I saw it, I'm like, huh, he has a nut allergy. Now you essentially knows his weakness. But does he know? Well, he doesn't speak. So I'm sure he knows what Queen Maeve did to him, but he doesn't really speak. So... It's going to be very interesting to see that dynamic between those two in the third season. But, let's talk about the real MVP. I mean, I know I said Homelander is like the best star of the entire show, of the entire season. 
But let's talk about the real MVP. Stormfront played by Aya Cash. God damn. Sexy, awesome, cool, and fucking... She is probably the biggest cunt that I've ever laid eyes on. Actually, let me rephrase that. Not really a diabolical cunt, but okay, let me be, let me stop beating around a bush. She's a Nazi. She's a fucking Nazi. And that girl power of what happened in the last season where Kimiko, Queen Maeve, and Starlight was essentially beating the shit out of Stormfront with her because of her being a Nazi, that was probably the best representation of girl power. Hashtag girls get it done. That. See, and, and here's here's something that I want to point out real quick. That is how you represent girl power. Women's power. Women's strength. That is how you fucking do it. When the scene happened in Avengers Endgame where all of the women are bending together after... You know, Peter Parker get the gauntlet, he sees Captain Marvel, and all of the women are now teaming up together to face off against Thanos in that brief mo in, in that brief moment. I thought to myself, oh my god, this feels so fucking forced. Because once again, there's sh- the Marvel has a problem with shoving diversity down our throats. They don't know on how to represent whatever it is that they want to organically. This fight scene in the season was the best organically driven plot that I've ever seen ever. These three women, they hate one person, they hate a fucking Nazi, and they're beating the shit out of her. Hashtag girls get it done, and it was fucking awesome. And Stormfront, over 100 years old, oof. God damn. I mean, she... I wouldn't say she's worse. No, she is definitely worse than Homelander because she is a racist bitch. She is a racist fucking Nazi. And the fact that she was the very first successful superhero, the first successful soup that Vought has actually created and made, it tells a lot about her. It really does because she pays attention to what's going on in the outside world considering the fact that she's lived for over 100 years. She is the one that pays attention to what the people want. She is the one that is advising Homelander to not take everything so personally, to actually make decisions based on what she, what needs to happen in order to get the people to love him. But at the same time, when word got out that she is a Nazi, she's lived for over 100 years, you would think the media would actually pay attention to that in Season 3. Even though... She is not, let's just say she's not walking right now at this moment. Eh, eh, you see what I did there? If you watch the show, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Stormfront was fucking awesome. Even though she was a Nazi bitch, even though she was a fucking diabolical cunt, even though she is someone that you fucking hated within the show, you can't help but feel but be a fan. You can't help but feel, but be a fan of Aya Cash's work. And she delivered. She definitely delivered. Overall, this season of The Boys was great to watch. It was awesome. There were a couple of slowing down moments. There was a couple of moments where 
it focused a lot on the political aspect. It didn't really focus too much on the fighting aspect up until the last season. And there were a couple of things that were rushed, obviously because of COVID due to it being only eight episodes. But overall, I really, really enjoyed this season. I did. Is it better than season one? Not really. But as a whole, it is a great show to watch. And once again, I highly, highly recommend you to watch the show. If you haven't seen it, watch it again. Since I just spoiled literally everything and I did say it was going to be a spoiler-filled review. What do I think is going to happen in Season 3? A couple of things. For one thing, the Congresswoman, Victoria Newman, the real head exploder... It's going to be very interesting to see who she's going to go after. And I believe she's going to target Stan Edgar next. Once she has enough power and once she has enough more of a notoriety for her to be on top, that's when she'll finally take down Vought for good. That's when she'll, you know, whatever her agenda is for her to be the ultimate woman in power, we're going to see exactly how she's going to go with. And I believe... It's going to go against Stan Edgar, the head of Vought. So we're going to see that. I also believe in Season 3, we'll probably have Ryan take down his father, Homelander. Because if you remembered, Homelander's laser vision was not enough to actually take down Stormfront when they were having their foreplay, sexual, intensity, fight, hot scene, whatever the hell you want to call it. But yet, Ryan's powers incinerated and maimed, fucking maimed Stormfront. Which means there might be a fact, there is a fact that maybe the son can defeat his father. And that's going to be very interesting to say the least. I don't know where Billy Butcher goes from here, considering the fact that he lost his one motivation. He lost his one thing to continue to push him to do what he does. He lost his wife, Rebecca. So it's going to be interesting to see where he's going to go from there. Considering that he doesn't have really anything else to do anymore, I have a strong feeling he might die in Season 3. I could be wrong, but I have a strong feeling that he's going to die. Or he'll probably be the one to actually help Ryan take down Homelander. So there is that aspect. Aside from everybody else, we'll just wait and see what happens. It's a fascinating show, and I know they're going to start filming Season 3, I believe, next year in February. Which means the show may not come out until, I'd say, August or September of next year. So, it's going to be a hell of a wait. It's going to be a hell of a wait. I love the show. I highly, highly recommend it. The Boys Season 2, once again, these words were fucking diabolical. That's all I gotta say about that. That's all we have for today on this episode of Outside the Comics Volume 2 Podcast. Once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to hear me speak. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, hit me up. Let's have a chat. Let's have a discussion. Was there anything that you liked? about The Boys Season 2? Is there anything that you wanted to change differently? Is there anything that you wanted to include? Because, let's face it, we can even have a discussion if any die-hard Supernatural fans, Jensen Ackles is going to be Soldier Boy in Season 3, so you got that going out for you. If you have any motivation to see the show enough, by all means, 
Go and fucking watch it. Season 3 can't come fast enough. So, if you want to have a discussion about that, questions, comments, or concerns, hit me up. MikeGarciaVO on Twitter or Instagram or OTC Volume 2. Volume completely spelled with the number 2, but you already know that. Before we end this night off, let's go to our super villain quote of the day. And this one is from, nonetheless, the Nazi, the first superhero from Vought, Stormfront. You can't win the whole country anymore. No one can. So why are you even trying? You don't need 50 million people to love you. You need 5 million people fucking pissed. Emotion sells. Anchor sells. And my reaction to that is this. If this is a strong representation of what's going on in our current world of what it is today, I just have to say one thing and one thing only. Do not be surprised if Trump wins this election. Do not be surprised about that. I was not surprised the first time, and I will not be surprised if he wins this one. Okay? Because if all it takes is for people to be emotional, for people to make decisions and make emotional choices, not thinking on rationalization or logic... That might be the way for Trump to win. If it happened once, it could happen again. Just keep that in mind. Tune in Thursday night where we will talk more news that comes from our comic book movies and TV shows. And always remember, if you hear about it and you read about it, I talk about it. Till next time, stay safe. I'm done. I'm through. Peace out.